So we're in the middle of a series, like Bruce mentioned, that we're calling SOAP. And the goal of our series uh, is to teach you how to allow God's word to shape your life. How many know that's important? And so the acronym for the word SOAP is Scripture, Observation, Application, and prayer. And this Bible study method is very easy to use. Anybody could use it. And we're using this method to teach through different stories of the Bible. And uh, Chris and I believe this. We believe that it's our job as your lead pastors, not to just feed you on Sunday morning, but to teach you how to feed yourself. How many of y'all love eating on your own? You don't need no one to help you out. It's like, I got this. Well, um, to start the message off today, I want to welcome up Alex Gonzalez. Come on up, Alex. Would you guys give Alex a huge hand this morning? Hey, Alex has the call of God on his life, and uh, he feels the call to preach. So I said, Alex, I want you to help me preach today. And so if you guys can open your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 22, Alex is going to read our scripture and pray for us today. Take your liberty, Alex. All right. Like Sean says... Um, We're going to read Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, I took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Saw the place from afar. He, um, sorry, I lost my place. Um, (laughs) Then, his baby. then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. So when they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So so they went, both of them together. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid them on the altar, on top of the wood. That Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him, called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes up and looked. And when he... And he saw that there was a ram stuck in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the Lord 
called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it says to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So now let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for today, and I'm thankful that Sean let me do this. And Lord, I'm praying that everybody here opens their hearts and listens to the sermon today, Lord. And Lord, I'm praying that Sean will preach an amazing sermon, God, and everything, and preach about you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go. Good job. Thanks for helping me today, man. You know, it's said that this is one of the most dramatic stories and theologically significant stories of all the Bible and really specifically the book of Genesis. I mean, can you really think about God requesting you to sacrifice your only child? You know, it's really interesting. If we just kind of just take everything we know about God off the table, this actually seems like an extremely cruel command for God to ask of Abraham. I mean, is God insane that he's asking him to kill his son? So as we approach this text today, I'm going to step into step two of the soap method, and we're going to observe the text. And I want us to remember something. When we observe the text, we're asking questions of the text. And during this process, we're trying to discover, God, what are you trying to teach the people then and there? What is the author Moses of the book of Genesis, what does he want people to know as he writes this narrative? What does he want the people to know? And so it's important also to take note the covenant context. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Now, covenant context, this was before the new covenant. It's before the old covenant. It's actually the covenant that God made with Abraham that we see in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. This covenant is a covenant that God makes with him. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to, I'm going to spread your, uh, your children across the seashore and nobody's going to be able to count them. And I'm going to bless the entire world through you, Abraham. So that's the covenant era that we're dealing with here. Here's what I observe as we take a look at this story. So I'm going to ask some questions as we observe. And to get to know who Abraham is, because it's really important, um, we're going to answer some questions. And I want us to notice the upbringing of Abraham. Somebody say upbringing. You can write that down because it's in your notes. You know, if you dig into somebody's upbringing, you can learn a lot about them. You learn why they do what they do and, and how they do what they do and, and where, where their accent comes from and maybe where the color of their skin comes from. You learn a lot about an individual when you learn about their upbringing. So we're going to dig into Abraham's upbringing and by asking the question, who is Abraham and what is he all about? Well, I notice in your notes the introduction. Scripture introduces us to Abraham in Genesis 11 when he's around 70 years old. And this is the first time that we meet Abraham. And we get to know him as God begins to call him and ask him to leave his land and leave his family. And it's interesting that when God calls Abraham for the very first time, there's like no next steps available for him. Nobody says, Abraham, fill out a connection card and, um, you you know, let's get together and, and get to know each other real slowly and, and go to Discipleship Track 101. And once you do that, Abraham, then we're going to send you out. No, God's like, come on, boy, let's go. <laughs> how, how, many, how many would enjoy a call like that? 
So he calls him and immediately he calls him to go. The next thing I notice about Abraham's upbringing is I notice the culture. Culture is so important here. And I want us to just take note of the religious culture, but also the secular culture that he grew up in, because it's very mind-blowing what we're about to learn today. As we take a look at the religious culture, how did the people during the time that Abraham grew up, how did they relate to God? Now, you and I, it wasn't like you and I. You and I relate to God through scripture and we relate to him through the person of Jesus. But this was a time before there was any scripture. There was no Bible. There was no B-I-B-L-E. And in fact, um, the people after Abraham related to God through the Torah. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. They got to know God through the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But this was actually a time before our Bible and before the Torah. So how did these people get to know who God was? They got to know who God was through something called oral transmission. In other words, Families would get together around the dinner table and they would just tell stories about God. How, how many, how many do that with your kids? You love to tell your kids story, right? You pass a story down through oral transmission and that's exactly how it was passed down during this time. This is the only way people knew about God because there was nothing written about him at this time. As we're looking at the culture, that was how the religious culture was passed down. But let's take a look at the secular culture. Abraham was surrounded by a secular culture, which is really the backdrop of this entire story and is going to help us bring a lot of context. There were two huge biblical events that were leading up to this story. One of them is the flood. Everybody remember the flood story. Another one of them is the Tower of Babel. And so I want us to just take note that during the flood, it was it was. Abraham's great, 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 great grandfather, Noah, who was actually still alive at the time of Abraham's birth. He was, he didn't die till he's like around 950 years old. Now, that's a lot of wrinkles. I mean, come on. I, I don't know. Um, so he had this grandfather who was still around during the flood, who was able to tell the family about the story of the flood and how God rescued them and how God made a way for a brand new family and a brand new land for these people to inhabit. Now, how many know that within nine generations, you got Noah who walked with God, he was a righteous man. How many know that through nine generations, Hey, did you hear this? Hey, did you hear that? How many of the story changes as generations go by and they pass by? And there was nothing written. There was no actual record for them to point back to. So as the whispers continued on down the line, the story began to change. And it shouldn't surprise all of us that the narrative of the story didn't stay the same way that Noah passed it down originally. You know, it's really interesting, but during this time, as the story began to change, civilizations didn't understand the story of the flood. And so they began to make up their own stories about what happened. And it's kind of interesting, but when people don't understand something, they tend to just make up what they think or make up what they believe, and that actually becomes their own truth. 
So Abraham and his ancestors began to, they began to tell stories, his ancestors, about how the flood actually happened and how the gods, plural, were angry and flooded the earth. And so Abraham's ancestors, they actually became pagan worshipers and they worshiped many different gods. This brings us to verse two in our text that we read today. God actually tells Abraham, take your only son and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, I wish I had popcorn to pass out to everybody because this is where we get the popcorn and, and you get ready for a really good story. When you study the Canaanite history and the ancient Mesopotamian culture of sacrifice, it's totally insane. And this was the culture that Abraham grew up in. There's a lot of interesting things that we can learn here. So this group of people, they lived about 4,000 years ago and it was very primitive. How many, how many of you know, like it doesn't, you don't need to read a book to know that it was very primitive. These guys did not know much about how anything worked. In fact, they were still trying to figure out how stuff worked. Things like um, agriculture and science and, and how do people get pregnant and how do they stay pregnant and how do we have healthy babies. It's said of this ancient culture that the people actually created gods for everything they didn't understand. How many of you know if you did that today, you would have a lot of gods? <laughs> And they created gods for things like they didn't understand the seasons and rain. So they created a rain god. They didn't understand how the sun came up every single day and, and went down every day in, in certain patterns. And when the clouds come, they didn't understand how all that, how all that worked. And so they made sun gods. They didn't understand how the human body worked and how pregnancy happened. So they made fertility gods and they had gods for all different types of things they didn't understand. And this culture, in the midst of having all these different gods, they were trying to answer a really big question. Why did the gods get angry with us and why did they flood the earth? Naturally, these people, they had to wonder to themselves, well, we better make sure that we don't make the gods angry so they don't flood the earth again. And how many know there's always that one guy in the group that has the answer? So the one guy in the group raised his hand. He said, hey, I got a good idea. Giving gifts to people is a great way to introduce yourself to them. It's a great way to kind of break the ice and, and bring somebody something really nice. How many of you like it when people bring you gifts? Raise your hand. Yeah. So these people are like, let's bring some gifts to the gods. And so whenever they needed something they, they didn't have and that they didn't understand, they would bring some kind of sacrifice in hopes that the gods would bless them. And so just imagine that it's, it's a time where it's, there's drought and they need water. And so who are they going to worship? They're going to worship the rain god, obviously, right? And so they come and they bring a little sacrifice of grain and they burn it up to the rain god and no rain. Everyone's like, uh, what do we do now? And the one guy's like, well, hey, I mean, maybe we should give a better gift. I mean, who likes a little bit of grain? Let's, let's, let's go get some. Anybody got a little lamb around here or a little goat? So they sacrifice a lamb and a goat and, and they wait and no rain. And that same guy is like, well, maybe we should get a bigger sacrifice. Does anybody have a, do we, who, where's the cow in the community? Let's bring the prize cow. Just bring out, I don't know. Is, does, does the Chick-fil-A cow have a name? 
We don't know. Okay, I was, I, I was trying to think of a cow name, but bring out Betsy, and here comes old Betsy. I'm sorry, Betsy. But they bring Betsy out, and the whole community's like, are you sure we want to do this? I mean, we could eat off of this thing for a really long time. And they're like, yeah, but we really need rain for our crops and rain to drink, and the gods must be angry. They're holding out, so we better give them something bigger. And so they, they burn up this cow, and they sacrifice the cow. The flames and the smoke go up to the heavens, and still no rain. What do we do next? I mean, do we have any better possessions than grain or a goat or a big cow? And that same guy's like, well, how about people? How about people? Like, I mean, Bill's not a really good worker, and he kind of complains a lot. So <laughs> can you guys go get Bill? Sorry if your name's Bill. Can you guys go get Bill? They go get Bill. They do their thing. Still no rain. Does anybody have anything better than Bill? How about something really precious? The gods are holding back. They must want something really important. How about a child? How about your only child? And this was the culture that Abraham grew up in. And so here they come, and they, they, they finally sacrifice their child, and boom, it rains, these people are like, well, that is it. I mean, if the gods are really holding out on us, we know the order of sacrifices and we know what we need to do. We need to eventually bring our best sacrifice and then the gods will definitely rain down blessings on us and give us exactly what we need. The ancient people thought they had solved the mystery of the gods. And that's why you could see sacrifice in nearly every single ancient culture. That's why you see child sacrifice in ancient culture because this was normal. And as bizarre as it is for you and I to think of something that absolutely insane and wonder why in the world would God do that when you understand the culture that Abraham comes from, it's no wonder that Abraham comes to God in the midst of a culture that Abraham understands and knows in the midst of gods that Abraham understands and knows that they request sacrifices. And so here comes this God among all the other gods and asks Abraham for a sacrifice. We're looking at Abraham's upbringing. I want us to take a look at Abraham's family. How many of you know the story's starting to make a lot more sense Abraham grew up in a family. Who are they? What are they about? Let's look at his forefathers. We already mentioned uh, Noah. Noah, the Bible says that he was a man who knew God. He was a righteous man. He walked with God. He was an amazing man. But there was nine generations since Noah. And so what was that immediate family that Noah, that, that Abraham grew up around? Joshua uh, 24.2 gives us a little context if we want to know a little about Abraham's immediate family. And here's what it says. It says this, Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, that was Abraham's brother, they lived beyond the Euphrates River. And they did what? They worship other gods. Sometimes, I don't know that we don't realize it or not, but Abraham did not come from an incredible lineage of people who worship the one and only God, Yahweh. He came from a line of pagan worshipers. Isn't that crazy? 
So here we learn that his father and his brother, they worshiped other gods. We don't, the scripture doesn't necessarily say, I'm sure we could do a lot more study into his lineage, but scripture doesn't really specifically say here who else worshiped other gods, but we know that Abraham did. And one of the things that we know is that we know that Whomever the fathers worship, the sons worshiped as well. That's how things happen. That's why like in the New Testament, when you, when you see a, a, a husband or a man get saved, his whole family follows along. Because that's just how things work during that time. This doesn't necessarily rule out though that his father and his brother and his ancestors did not also worship Yahweh. It just means that they also worshiped other gods. So that God for them was another God in the whole bucket of gods. He was not like the one and only God, the most high God, as we would call him. He was just another deity. And what was his family like? It said they worshiped gods on the other side of the Euphrates River. That just represents, uh, it was actually the land of Ur. The land of Ur is where his family grew up. That's where they all belong. And what does the Bible describe about the land of Ur, the region? The Bible says we can learn about this in Genesis 11. It talks about that this was near the capital city of Babylon. And if you know anything about Babylon, Babylon was a bad place. It was full of pagan worshipers. It was full of sin. And people, it said that people uh, followed and fulfilled every sensual pleasure and desire that they had. And if you, if you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, Babylon, Babel, Babel, this is the same place, the same ancestors who built that tower out of their pride, trying to display and, and show that they can get to the gods themselves and that they were mighty and that they were powerful. This was near the city of Ur. The city of Ur signified fire. How many know the sacrifices that we just talked about? It was known for the fire and the, the worshipers of fire and the smoke that would go up to heaven because of the amount of the many sacrifices that they gave up to the unknown gods that they were trying to get answers from. What's the bottom line here? The bottom line is this. It's pretty safe to conclude that Abraham knew about God. He knew about Yahweh because of his great, 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 great grandfather, Noah. But it's also pretty sure and safe to say that also with his daddy that was a pagan worshiper and his brothers, that he had pagan worship all around him. And that probably at some point in his lifetime, he probably worshiped other gods too. Now, it's so interesting because Abraham actually doesn't meet God until 70 years old. How many of you know that all of the major formative things that are formed in you really happen when you're just a little boy? And here's Abraham at 70 years old and God comes to Abraham and he begins to do something different. I want us to notice in our notes as, as we're noticing about his upbringing, I want us to next notice the calling. Abraham is called by God. And in Abraham's calling, he actually has two callings. His first calling was in Genesis 12. And God said, hey, I want you to go from your country. I want you to leave your land and leave your father's house. And I want you to depart. And in his second calling, God comes to him and he says, hey, now I want you to leave and go to the place where I show you. And I want you to sacrifice your son. God has invited Abraham in his 70s to depart from his family of origin, to depart from the land of paganism, to depart from the land of many gods, to depart from a place of idol worship, from all of the different things that had his attention. And God is calling him away saying, hey, I want to be your most high God, Abraham. 
And it's interesting that in this second calling that God comes to him and he asks for his one and only son. Now, if we remember the story, God had in the first calling told, told Abraham, you're going to have a child and he's going to fill, fill the land. And, and it was 30 years before he actually had his son, Isaac. You know, some people, they get really discouraged and depressed. And I know exactly what it feels like when you're trying to have a son or a child and it's only been six months or nine months, fall into depression and just want to give up. 30 years, 30 years. And he has this child and then God says, hey, can I have that? We're going to take a look at the later part of the story next week. And next week is so amazing. I can't wait for next week's message. But today, let's apply our text. So we spent some time observing some things about this text. And now we're going to apply the text. Remember, an observation, we're asking, what did it mean for the people then and there? And as we apply the text, we're asking the question, what does this mean for us here and now? What is the Holy Spirit trying to say to us today? And here's what I believe the Holy Spirit's saying today. He's saying this in your notes. God doesn't care about your lineage. <laughs> he doesn't care. Just because your daddy was an idol worshiper, just because your family and your brothers lived in the land of pagans, doesn't mean you have to be a pagan. Doesn't mean that I can't call you out. Doesn't that mean that I'm not going to ask you to depart? God can call anyone. And you know, here's the really good news. God can drive out the pagan in anybody. How many of you know, even as people who profess Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, just because we are wrapped up in our culture and we are wrapped up in the land that we live in, unknowingly to us, there are many times that we set other things ahead of God. And that one thing that was supposed to be a blessing to him, Isaac, God said, that is your blessing. And I think that Isaac lost focus on who the giver of the blessing is. And his eyes went on Isaac and Isaac became his idol. And God said, oh no, I belong there. I need you to lay him down. And I think God might be saying to some of us today, God might say, I promise you something amazing. I promise you something beautiful in your life. I promise you something wonderful. But you have misplaced the gift giver. You have misplaced me for the thing that I gave you. And you're worshiping the wrong thing. I don't know what that may or may not be for you today. But I know that God is calling people every day, just like he called Abraham, to leave their land and let go of the things that they are worshiping. Here's a question for you today is, how will you respond when God calls your name to sacrifice your Isaac? Will you respond with instant obedience? It's so interesting that scripture actually describes in this story that as soon as God called him, it says, the next day. Do you realize the next day? He had, to, he had to gather items for a three-day journey. God called him the next day. He gathered all his items. He, he, gathered, he gathered two other gentlemen to come along with him. He gathered his son. They got all their belongings. They got all their stuff, and they took off. 
I wonder today that if the Holy Spirit speaks to you about something that you should lay down, are you going to wait for weeks, years, or are you going to be willing to lay it down today? I love that your land doesn't determine your future. I love that where you come from, the place you live in, doesn't determine your future. That's great hope for people who live in a land that is dominated by Buddhism. (laughs) That's great news for people who are living in a land that's dominated by Muslim. That's great news for people who live in a land called America, whom so many people are holding on to us as God's country, but really we are a pluralistic society that serves many different gods. And I'm so glad that God today comes to America and still calls people to leave their gods and follow and serve him. Aren't you glad he called you?